Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckasaurus rexes? Yeah. How are you? Mark Marin here. That was short and sweet, that opening. That was the way that was, was going to go. Uh, I'm in uh, the garage, as usual, sitting here in my chair. Got the uh, garage door open. It's nice and sunny. It's airy here in uh, L.A. It's not too hot. It's pleasant. From uh, what I understand, we're in the middle of a significant drought. It's not stopping me from taking a shower, though. Am I, am I hurting the country by taking a shower? I don't know. It's weird when things like that are reported, that there's a serious drought, and I turn on my, my faucet, and water's still coming out of it, so it doesn't quite register with me. Is that selfish? Is that ridiculous? In my mind, if there's a drought, you turn on the faucet, and it's just sort of like drip, drip, or it just goes... <sighs> Today on the show, Pat Healy. Pat Healy is a great actor. Pat Healy and I sort of have a history. Uh, you might know Pat Healy from, he's done a lot of work actually. Uh, he was he was around the table and here and there in the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. He was also in uh, Rescue Dawn, which was that Werner Herzog movie. Uh, he's done a lot of TV work. He You would recognize him. And his new movie, this crazy fucking movie he's in, cheap thrills which i saw it uh it's available you can get it uh on dvd you can get it uh at itunes you can get it on amazon instant it is a dark fucking movie that tricks you into thinking it's a comedy and it very well may be a comedy but boy does it go far it pushes the envelope man bit disturbing cheap thrills but healy and i he was sort of in and around comedy for a while when I first moved to L.A. and he was buddies with me and my ex-wife. And then, like, I had forgotten, but not quite forgotten, the fact that he lived at my house for a while. He was my ex-wife's roommate. We're going to get into that. But uh, great guy, great talk, does a lot of great movies, a lot of independent movies. You see, that's the thing, man. I got to get back into it, man. I, I got to get back into thinking about movies into watching movies because it's like if i'm not in the right like i think my brain has gone gone fucking screwy my expectations are peculiar sometimes 
but there was a time where I used to just bend my brain, you know, uh, you know, over, you know, Rome, open city over the bicycle thief. Uh, over Kane, I used to just bend my brain over 400 blows over um, Jules and Jim over like I would it was I was reading Cahiers de Cinema. I was doing everything I could to understand too deeply about movies, about art, about anything. And, it, you know, you got to age a little bit before you realize it's like it's all what you put onto it. It's not necessarily designed that way. It's not like the artist comes to it and goes like, these are all the levels this will be operating on. So it's it's whatever you bring to it. But man, I thought there were answers. I thought there was a way. I thought I was missing shit all the fucking time, which I am. But it's all context. And who decides that context? You or the guy whose book you're reading that you may or may not understand. I go through these fits of sort of like, I'm not engaging in the arts enough. I'm not paying enough attention to the important things. I'm not appreciating the poetry of life. Why? This is what it's supposed to be about. How come I talk myself out of doing everything? This is what life is. Go, go see a fancy movie. Go see a difficult movie. Go challenge yourself with someone else's work. Why do you just got to sit there and go like, nah, I feel fat. I don't want to go outside. I'm tired. Maybe I'll take a nap or masturbate. That's not a quality of life. You sound pretty good, though. That sounds pretty good. It's not a bad afternoon, but it's not something. It's not a lifelong pursuit. I went to see Michelle Gondry's movie, Mood Indigo, and I knew nothing about it other than I saw a coming attraction. looked interesting. Holy shit. It, there was almost too much stuff going on in each frame of that movie. There was all these sort of uh, stop motion animation elements. There was uh, all this kind of strange set work. To me, it was a very French movie in that what you had was you had a, a protagonist, this fella. He marries a girl and they're, they're in love, very passionate. And then she becomes ill. And, uh, and, 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 and there's that, and they have a friend who's a sort of a sycophant of a famous philosopher who is a satirical Jean-Paul Sartre. Did I say that right? It felt like I said it right. It always feels weird when I say it because I don't know how to pronounce French. So there's all these different elements. And so that's a pretty standard, you know, tragic, uh, setup. Love, girl gets sick, life comes crashing down on us through uh, disease, death, age, all this stuff. But the undercurrent uh, of this film is that there's so much going on, all these weird animation elements. There's dancing, there's music, there's uh, these weird departures into uh, some you know minor trajectory uh, about weapon making. I mean, there was just it was just so rich visually. And I realized his, his elaboration through animation and through activity and through uh, playing with time uh, was just the ornaments that he hung on this fairly tragic and very French story. So was it a good movie? I can't tell you. I don't know. I'm not holding anything back. I just don't know. Was it memorable? There was a couple of things that were memorable. Did it move me? Not that much emotionally because I was so distracted by all the fireworks, but it was, it was essentially those fireworks that took so much time. I can't even imagine how much time that it took him to put that stuff together. It looked like there were scenes in that movie where, you know, a, a five minutes of film could have taken a month to shoot. I'm not sure how it all went, but it takes a hell of an artistic vision. And I have friends like this too. I know film directors to sort of put all of that time and energy into something that is going to be, you know, fundamentally confusing and, and maybe distracting. I guess what I'm saying is I have to get away from, the certain in creativity, the, the 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 compulsion towards immediate gratification. Like, why don't I go see a show at LACMA? 
Yeah, why don't I go see that uh, that one that everyone told me to go see? That was his name, Bill Kelly. Why why didn't I go see that? I don't know because I I couldn't get out of my house because I was too busy on Twitter or too busy um, you know struggling to get out here on the mic or too busy wrestling with my cock or too busy distracting myself with other things. You know why 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 do I need this sort of like too busy like you know standing in front of my refrigerator you know eating out of several different containers? That is not life. Life is me going to a French movie that I walk away from saying like, that was spectacular and elaborate. I'm not sure I got it, but uh, he definitely did something there. I filled my head up with it. I'm talking to you about it. My point is I got to see, I guess it really is. I got to see more movies and, and probably masturbate less and not eat my feelings. <laughs> That's a long way to go. It's not like I'm masturbating more than once a day. Sometimes I'll go a few days without it. Why am I being this candid? I listened to Duke Ellington this morning, which Mood Indigo is a Duke Ellington song, and Duke Ellington is sort of a, one of the dozen or so sub-themes of the film. Never really took in Ellington that much, and this morning I took it in, and uh, it was it was a pretty good way to start today. I was a little, a, a little weepy, and I, I felt nostalgic for a time that I didn't exist in. It's always good to have that kind of nostalgia. The nostalgia for an era <laughs> that that you have no access to other than through that music. Let's time travel back to New York in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Harlem, preferably. And perhaps I'll be black and wear a hat. How would that be? Some some uh, big pants, pleated, some fancy shoes. That's not going to happen for me. That's not in my history. That's not going to... I can't even go back there. But I can listen to the Duke and go, this shit is good. See that? I, I filled up my life this morning with some Duke Ellington. I went and saw Happy Christmas... The Joe Swanberg movie, Mr. Mumblecore, the inventor of that, I believe. I think he's done like 70 movies. <laughs> I think he's the, but Anna Kendrick is in it. Lena Dunham is in it. Uh, Joe uh, Swanberg is in it. And that amazing woman from New Zealand. I love her, whatever she's in. I love her. Melanie Linsky. I believe that's her name. Melanie Linsky. Anyways, so I'd seen one of the other uh, Joe Swanberg movies, but, and, I, and I'd not... I not didn't really lock in. I didn't really follow him. But this movie was the opposite of the Michelle Gondry movie. This movie was sort of, um, it's very simple. It's very improvised. He actually, when I was in the movie theater, Swanberg was doing a Skype, you know, Q&A. And, and he seemed like a very great guy. But the movie, then I watched the movie, and it was very low-key. And he had talked about it all being improvised. And Anna Kendricks is obviously great. Lane is great. But it's weird how we get these mainstream movie expectations. Like whenever there was tension, emotional tension, and there was a cut that like I would expect like, oh my God, something's really going to turn here. But but it's all very organic. And he shot it actually on 16 millimeter, which was great. It'd been a long time since I'd seen film. So I was happy and excited to be happy and excited about film. And maybe I can talk to Swanberg. If anyone knows him, tell him I want to talk to him. Right now, uh, let's... Talk to Pat Healy. I feel, I feel like we've waited long enough. Am I Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something 
to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. All right? Jesus Christ, I can't... Um, I'm having a hard time separating you from that horrifying movie. <laughs> That's okay. That's, horrifying in a good way. It's so funny because people go see it in the theater and they have a blast, but people who watch at home tend to be really disturbed. They have a blast. Yeah. What does that mean? They have a blast. Like they're screaming, they're yelling, they're laughing. It has. Like, it has sort they of actually cheer like it's a Rocky movie when I. I don't even want to say because it it'll spoil yeah, the yeah, movie. Yeah. No when spoilers. I, well, right. it, well, who wins in that movie? Uh, the audience. Yeah. It's about a man who just wants to provide for his family. Well, on the surface of it, yeah. I mean, I think it's like uh, it's much more complicated than that because it's a man who who uh, is dealing with ego and and uh, not being able to provide. You know, you could say he's trying to provide for his family monetarily, and money's being offered. No, I think but, there's a lot of depth to the character in terms yeah. of his struggles and how he ended up where he ended up, and he certainly could take care of them monetarily at some point. And right, and there was an easier it, way to go, probably. Yeah, and I mean, it becomes a, much more about you know this this male ego and competition and and also i think like uh not that the movie's you know deeply political or trying to be but about you know a, a lot of women are the breadwinners now and guys aren't comfortable with that right uh i i don't have a problem with that <laughs> i'd be happy to sit at home I, I would have no problem with that yeah so yeah this character sort of goes through this this metamorphosis over a night with an old friend and and lots of old rumblings get stirred up and there was a big uh a big jump you know in uh you know in your friend's attitude yeah at some point and i know it was you know perhaps drug driven or but it was jarring right where where it just became like you know about the money yeah and about the winning and uh look i feel haunted by the movie and it's not a bad it's not a bad thing i think the movie was compelling it almost it became like a thriller because of the way it's set up you know, yeah. it's 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 one of those. You know, the the setup is, you know, basically what what would you do for money? But but the way that the sh- the the film is structured and and the intensity and the violence and the drugs and the weirdness of Keckner's character and but after a certain point when you spend time in Los Angeles, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you've been there, yeah. <laughs> and we've all stayed at the party too long, one yeah. point or another, right? Know, so yeah. I, but like it, for a while, it's weird because it doesn't. It doesn't read as a comedy after a certain point. No, it's strange. I mean, I, I even don't even necessarily agree with them marketing the film that way. I realize you have to market the film as something. Yeah. And they're doing a great job, Draft House Films, at, at marketing and making sure people see it and people yeah. are seeing it. But, yeah. like, what do you market that movie as? I mean, it's it's not a horror film, even though people are, you know... It's kind of... It's on, almost... It, it has... Maybe you're more better marketing as a horror film and having people surprised that they laugh at it. I mean... 
you know, people laugh at Reservoir Dogs and they laugh at Goodfellas a lot. You know, I, I don't go to see Raging Bull when it shows in the theater because I'm embarrassed because I laugh through that entire movie. Oh, yeah, it's really the way funny. they talk, yeah. But I think people would be offended if I was laughing through certain parts of that. No, I get what you're saying, it, but it, it's structured like a comedy. I yeah, mean, absolutely. It's a very dark... I mean, it's not dissimilar from After Hours or... That's right, exactly. The Hangover or something right. like that. It's just like... Right. It's like, what would really happen in The Hangover? You know, we've right. said this before. But, like, but you don't go home to your wife and everything's yeah, but okay at the end. Right, but there, there's no... There's not not, not a lot of cuteness in the movie. No, no, none. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's right. ugly. It's vile. It's, right. Yeah. So with The Hangover, at least you got, you know, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, and You got course. Gallop and Noodles over there. No. And you got... There's nothing cute about me before or after what that happens in the movie. fucking, yeah. It's a, it's a compelling uh, uh, film, and it's called Cheap Thrills. I don't even think we... <laughs> oh, excuse me. My God. What'd you do? <laughs> Mark, you made this coffee so strong. I, I did? did I'm you... sorry, everyone at home. What just happened? <laughs> you know, just went down the wrong pipe. Oh, you know? okay. I didn't mean to make it so strong. No, I no, I, you know, I thought I, had, I nailed it. There's some weird mishaps going on. With I, my I had an explosive esophagus. coughing of a mouthful of uh, red and green uh, smoothie that just blew it out all over my window above the sink. And then all over, like, if there was one thing that's never happened to me before where I'm just like, <clears throat> and I coughed with a mouthful of this smoothie, and it was. Uh, it was a real spectacle. At least it was you knew you had a smoothie. If you had just coughed red and green, you'd it really a, like. Yeah, I'm not there yet. You worry about that stuff enough as it is. I do worry about it a little less than I used to. Less than I used to. I, you know, now that I, you know, I'm 50, it is. Are you really? Yeah. How old are you? 42. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. When the man. fuck? I, I'm trying to think where I met you because like all these things are falling into place now. You know, Pat and I. Who am I talking to? Like, there's a third person here. Pat and I have a history. <laughs> <laughs> we do. But I, I remember exactly when I met you. Right. So I was friends with your ex-wife, Mishna. Yeah. And uh, through because I did comedy for a while. Uh, I still do occasionally sketch stuff, but. Yeah. Uh, a decade ago, I started doing comedy and uh, around, and so and you we, were doing like those mics with her. Yeah, we did the mics. We had our own show in in uh, Los Feliz at the in the basement of the Ramada Inn, which I think you may have been gracious enough to to stop by once you, or twice. Was that your show? Uh, mine and Josh Fadum yeah. and uh, Dan Forth France and oh the Fadum show, that clusterfuck yeah. show. Yeah, exactly. I hated, you I hated was it. So mad at you him. didn't like it because we did sketches in between. But and you then weren't the there the night I did it. I wasn't. I don't think so. Yeah, I usually kept their asses in line. And I met uh, Mishnah. And right. And then uh, I was, I had been basically homeless for like a year. I was sleeping on couches. I, I had a bad couple of years yeah. professionally and personally. Right. And then I had rented a room from a building manager over in Los Feliz. It's the same building I live in now, actually. And then at the end of that year, I was going to be out of town working a lot. Yeah. And you had just taken the Air America job right. in New York. Yeah. And Mishnah was going to be out there with you a lot. And so she was looking for someone to house and cat sit for you. She didn't turn out she was out there a lot. And it ended up, she ended up being here a lot. But yeah. I, I took that uh, gig. And, and you were roommates. Here. We were roommates. I was gone a lot. She was gone, you know, a lot. But we ended up being here together a lot and becoming friends. And You lived in my house. Yeah, but I met you <laughs> after I, she had already agreed to let me be, you know, watch your house. I, I suppose you guys discussed it. Yeah. And it was outside the M bar, or some show or something. Yeah. I remember you had a hat and a, you were smoking a cigar. But that, I'd seen you and I knew who you were, obviously, but I, I don't think I'd ever met That was you the first that. time we met after you were going to be my wife's roommate? Yeah. And I know, I don't think we ever really ever spent any significant time together until after you were already back and done with that job and everything. And that was, but that was like, it was such a short time before the whole thing fell apart. Yeah. So that was 2005. 
Yeah, this shit hit the fan 2006. I mean, I a lot happened to me in this house. I quit smoking in this house. I, uh, you know, I you know got a lot of my first sort of those are big jobs and big breaks in and my house. Like that yeah, happening here. Like I spent, I had a birthday party here in my house. Yeah. Oh. you were almost never here, but like when you came back, we we would watch Sopranos together. It was the end of the Sopranos? Yeah, we were watching that together. God, that there's so much in my- 2007, right? I think, yeah, post-traumatic stress syndrome. I'm sorry if I'm stirring but, up. Oh, no, no, I don't mind. But uh, but you know, but 2007, that must have been right before she left me, right? You, did you guys split up in 2007? Uh, yeah, I thought so. Okay, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, you must- I know you said you haven't seen her in seven years, and it's 2014, so that, that probably makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was- Well, yeah, I don't think you and I were here alone. It must have been- No, never- I always liked you. Oh, sometimes we hung out alone because if she was out of town, like remember, I came and saw you do a show at UCB one night. Yeah, and we had dinner around the corner at the deli with Jerry Stahl oh, and yeah, you. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, God, you got a good we memory. We hung out. We saw some movies together. I, I never think. had a problem with you. I, no? I, I, only fleeting times that I think you and my wife were fucking. It, but it, I didn't. No, that never happened. Of course not. I'm looking you right in the eye right now. That never happened. I know it never. I happened. knew you thought maybe at one point it might have happened, but <laughs> I was, it, it was I was ridiculous. a crazier man. But then, like I remember after I I ran into you, the the only time we had trouble was when I ran into you after all this shit went down. You're like, you know, I don't, I can't talk about but it. That was long after the first time we saw each other again. After that, yeah, it wasn't that long after, and I was probably trying to pump you for info. It was at Sundance in 2012. Oh yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah, and I were... had never seen you before for, in five years. And, but but we mentioned that there, like, I, I what did I say to you? I, I th- well, you were you were really nice initially, and we were we had it was great. We were catching up and everything. Yeah. I think maybe I saw you before that downtown somewhere at a show or something. Well, that's what I remember is, yeah. that, is that, you know, you can't weigh in on anything. It's uncomfortable because you're still friends yeah, with Yeah, I just didn't feel like, right. well, it was like we were having a really nice discussion and catching up and it was yeah. really good to see you and you were clearly in a much better place. Okay. And then uh, and then it got dark, like for a second. It did? Yeah, I got angry. I dropped out. I dropped. And I didn't like, I didn't fault you for it, but I just thought like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to get into that. Like, you I know. tried to put you in the middle. And you no, said, you didn't really. You 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 were just you were ex- expressing your feelings very strongly, <laughs> and I didn't want to like either validate or negate those feelings. You know what I mean? <laughs> Tough position. And that was years ago, though, and and it's like, uh, look, I've been in. I I have been married and divorced, but you know that's okay. I've been in a relationship where there was never any, you know, I think closure is a bullshit word. I don't think it exists, but yeah. like. Where there was never any like, you know, we're fine with each other if we see each other, but there really wasn't ever that moment where you like discussed it. <sighs> and it just sits like a rock, you know? Well, it's like you live and you go on with your life and you forget about it. You don't think ache, about it most the of the ache time. The dulls. Yeah. The ache. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I'm happy that, you know, she's, you tell me she's doing good. She just yeah. had another kid. And yes. look, I, I'm thrilled. You know, I, I do want her to, like, I, my sadness now about that is like a lot of the anger is gone, but, you know, you, you do start to realize like, I haven't seen her in seven years. It's bizarre. That's yeah, strange. And like, if there was just a moment where you know I would like to uh, laugh and have coffee, right? Is that possible? I'm well, not asking you. No, but I mean, I think it is possible. Well, I'll tell you, like, my experience. Yeah. With this uh, relationship, how long were you in. with this woman? Like maybe a year and a half. A year most. and a half, and you got married. No, I'm this. I'm talking about a girlfriend. The marriage, we can get into that. But like the the the, the girlfriend that I have now, no, that I had that oh. I that kind of had this like we can't get together and laugh oh, right, about right, things. Right, right. Was at some point it would have been all right if I hadn't kept 
pushing after it was clearly over <laughs> and acted like a psychopath and basically you know oh, a stalker and i and did that emails. i stalked i wrote a one-man show i uh, you know yeah. i i fucked her friends yeah i don't know if it's and so it's back fine home. now but you can't yeah you can't ever like go <laughs> what's the matter what i know you, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like hey because like if 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 she were to decide hey you know what it's water under the bridge which basically she's doing but but she's got two kids. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I, but like, I'm, from my from my perspective with this girlfriend that I had this thing with, like, I don't blame her because I acted like a complete fucking wacko. Like, regardless of what she did or what went down, or both of us being responsible, like, at some point I acted like a complete maniac, and I don't blame her for not wanting to sit down and have coffee with me and laugh. Yeah, I get that, and I think the problem with what with, with what I had to learn from all this is that you know it all ended quite badly, and I behaved quite badly during it and after it. But you know what's still there is that you know she was important sure. in my life, and I loved her. You know that that doesn't go away, right? So you know it's not like any of that can be acted on, but you know those kind of things stick in your heart forever, and they you know they fade and they ebb and flow. But you know there there's some part of the heart that just wants to 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 be forgiven yeah yeah you want to be <laughs> yeah. forgiven and also you don't go in your mind like uh well I, we didn't really it never really we never really did love each other you can't say that you were married you were together think, for a long time yeah, like, i think that's true if you want to talk about my marriage i was married for three months how uh, that, did that happen how long were you with her no i hate having to say that but uh uh this is the place to say it so i i met a girl a woman actually around the same time I was doing comedy here and then in 2004 and then she moved to New York yeah and then when I was doing a movie in 2010 on the east coast she got back in touch with me and we started dating yeah long distance shortly after we sort of decided that she was going to move out here yeah uh to live with me she was diagnosed with Lyme disease, which I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's east uh, coast thing yeah you know Ticks. you get bitten by a tick and but if you don't know that you got bit by the tick if you know you got bit by the tick, you get antibiotics, boom, it's done. If you don't, you get this thing called uh, chronic Lyme. And chronic Lyme is very controversial because it doesn't show up on tests. Like once you take antibiotics, it's gone, but it affects the nervous system I've known and the a brain of and people, all this stuff. And a couple people, people have had it. People it's a nuisance. suffer from it. So, yeah. And then there's you know controversy over it because the uh, AMA and all these organizations don't recognize it mm -hmm. as being real. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a psychological disorder, so there's... The jury's out on that. As to whether it's a real disease? Yeah. No kidding. As to whether those people still have Lyme or they're suffering some, you know, psychological disorder. Because of it. Because it doesn't show up on blood tests. Weird. Know? All right, so she's get, she gets the Lyme. And there's even a guy who discovered that, you know, something that may answer that question and then was suddenly struck with uh, Alzheimer's and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true there's so a documentary called under the skin that's all about this you can't get to the answer yeah now. exactly so uh so very quickly in rapid succession i had to move her out here she had a dog i had to rent a house actually yeah. out here in eagle rock and move out of my apartment and and assume all these responsibilities of taking care of someone i was also unemployed were because, you married already no but i you loved her i loved her and i felt this obligation yeah you know which i recognize now as as you know, a lot of shame and guilt that was given to me as a Catholic, uh, you know, kid. And yeah. uh, even though my parents are great and love me very much, you know, you just grow up with that stuff. And and uh, then she didn't have health insurance, and I have health insurance through through the Writers Guild and through SAG. And um, I uh, I just it, it actually came up with a doctor, a very irresponsible doctor, yeah, of alternate alternative medicine who who 
you know, presented an idea. And then it wasn't like I could not have the discussion. She with said her. it in, in front of you. Yeah, like he he said maybe she you should said, marry. Well, you. maybe you should get married. You know, so you, you don't you coverage. don't have to be forever, but you'll have the coverage or whatever. And you, and it's like that's a, such an L.A. And uh, then it really put out. pressure on me. And then I did it. And then it was right away that it was a mistake. Ugh. Like we didn't. I've been through one. Get this. along. The it wasn't one. like even the illness or anything. It was it was just we just didn't get along. And, yeah. And uh, so after three months, I left. And then it was a long period of time of separation mm -hmm. where I actually lived with uh, our friend Brendan Small in his house. Oh, really? Uh, so Brendan and I, we did our thing then for like five months. And then I moved back into the building that I live in, that I lived in before by myself. And eventually and the back? divorce went through. Yeah. And I've, I've been there for- did, what, what kind of divorce was it though? Was it contentious or did you just get it done? Yeah, it ended up being contentious. Uh, really? Well, I, After I, a year and a fucking half. I found out that, uh, I mean, that we were together for less than a year, the marriage. We were- uh, married for three months before we separated i um filed i assumed it was going to be a default in which yeah. case you know into california if the if the other after person three months doesn't doesn't respond right. then you can't get an annulment here unless your cousins or right. you know right the person turned out to be on 14 or something so um yeah i i i thought it would be a default i thought she wouldn't respond and right she responded and it's unclear whether or not she didn't understand that she didn't need to respond or whatever. We weren't actually communicating great. And it was really funny, you know, Joe Wagner, our yeah, friend, yeah. agreed to, he's a good friend of mine, he agreed to be the guy that served papers on her. But he didn't understand that it wasn't a surprise that she was. She agreed to meet and get the papers served to her. I just couldn't personally serve them. Right. So Joe put on a disguise and hid behind a plant. And scared Like her. a hat and yeah. like sunglasses and yeah. a fake mustache. And then she was like... Uh, are you Joe? <laughs> He's sitting there crouched, sweating. Because oh, uh, you told her that Joe was coming? Yeah, she knew, Like, but she, he thought, you know, he'd seen too many movies and yeah, TV shows. It. He yeah. thought he had to sneak up on her. Yeah. So, you know, it was like a year and a half of like, she was also ill during that time and, and sort of off the grid for like nine months. And then she finally came back and said, you know, uh, sorry, you know, I was hurt and I was also not feeling well and all that. And uh, we actually had a really a series of really nice civil meetings and talked about everything and and uh, you know I I took care of her just because she had relocated from New York to to L A and all that stuff and took care of it but it was a was a long uh, drawn out thing. God damn man! You know it's like I, you know some of us are just not destined for the simple life. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, the the woman I'm dating now. We've only been dating for six months, so it's too early to say, but. I don't know if I'd get married again. I know, you know, there was a point in time too that I definitely wanted kids and then I definitely didn't. And now I have nieces and nephews that I love and I love spending time with them, but I get to go home and go to sleep, you know? It's yep. like, uh, so I, I really don't know. Your nieces and nephews are here? Your brother? I met your uh, brother. Yeah, my younger brother has two kids here. He's a, he's a an, an artiste, isn't he? Yeah, sure. What, I can't remember. What does he do? Well, he, he works do? for a clothing uh, designer now called Todd Land, but he, he's a musician. He's a, he's a painter. He's a, yeah, he's yeah. I remember yeah, him. Yeah. Why do, why, like, were, were you guys working together on he he probably or? hung out here a few times. Yeah, I remember meeting him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, where are you guys from? Uh, suburbs of Chicago, Arlington Heights, Illinois. Well, you know, it's weird because like you show up in movies, but you've been you've been in a lot of stuff. And like I really didn't. I knew you as this comic guy who did movies occasionally. And then I remember I was very excited uh, to see you in that that great movie. You know, the assassination of. Uh, What's the full title? Oh, Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yeah, I love that fucking movie. I'm in a lot of movies that people don't love when they come out, but like five years later, 
everyone loves. But that was when I first realized that you have one of those bodies and one of those heads and one that <laughs> that you just fit on camera perfectly. Oh, thanks. Do you feel that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was. I always wanted to do that, and I don't know if I somehow you make a physiological change to make your body fit that, or I just happen to be that type physically. No, or, I think you are. Yeah, I just I, I was born to do it, and you know I've been doing this professionally for twenty years now. And it's really kind of only now that people, you know, people know my name, or Put it I'm together. even allowed to like be, you know, a guest on your show, even though you know, like, not, not, I, know I mean, mean yeah. no disrespect, but like, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would have had that much to offer. To I mean, I certainly have a lot to talk about, but like in terms of people knowing the name and the face now a little bit more because of these these smaller movies that I've done, you know. Yeah. Well, what was the other one, the crazy one that you were up at Sundance for? Oh, uh, Compliance. Yeah. yeah. I didn't get to see that one. So that was, you know, a very controversial movie, but uh, as I think, you know, Cheap Thrills is too, but in a different way. Uh, yeah. About, uh, it based on uh, real events where a guy yeah. was calling fast food restaurants pretending to be a cop and got managers, uh, in this case it was a McDonald's, uh, but in fact, fictionalized in the movie, but yeah. Uh, to uh, give their employees strip searches, and this particular case ended in a, a rape, a sexual assault. So uh, it's a very messed up movie that people found very compelling and either really upsetting or, or terrific. Did uh, you kick ass oh, in it? I'm told I did, you know? It's largely my voice on the phone for a lot of the movie, because I play the guy who's the caller. The raper? Yeah, and then I'm kind of sitting there the whole time, and I'm, you know, I've got a lot of, you know, kudos, you know, I got a lot of good reviews for that and everything, but I was, was sitting in a chair the whole time, all coiled up, and yeah. like in in Cheap Thrills, I I'm like that for the first part of the movie, and then I just get to let it all out, which is very for very very short time. It's very the, cathartic, I, you know, the first part of the movie. Yeah, you really cut loose, but you got a natural way about you. I was watching, you know, having done two seasons of my show and not really being a trained actor in watching myself. There's something about you know the lack of self consciousness around like the the sort of taking the time to do things when you're not talking in a natural way, seems to be the tricky thing. Well, it's interesting because I would think for you, and maybe this is something that hasn't occurred to you, is like you're you're known as a very active listener on your show. Yeah. And that's really what it is. Sure. You know, uh, you know we've seen like great comedians or musicians who have that natural ability right. who don't realize to just use those same tools. No, I do that, but I mean? like I think that like even in real life I'm a little stilted. I'm a little over dramatic. Like yeah. I, I use my hands a lot and when I'm listening, like if I'm listening, I'm not necessarily moving. Right. Yeah, you know, where whereas like you know, and maybe I'm being too judgmental on well, myself. Well you're also very cerebral, so it's like you can't be right. cerebral when you act. Like that's you, yeah, that's you have thing. to do all the cerebral stuff at home and then when you show up you yeah. just you have to, you know, just be there to play. Yeah, know? I think I did all right. What I would usually do is just sort of like just be in the moment. I thought as... you were very good in uh, in Berbiglia's movie. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I just try to be in the moment. That's, I mean, that's the best I can do. Yeah, well, that's all it is, you know. It's like, it's, it's a lot of homework. That's a lot of people don't realize. Not only because you can't think when you're doing it, but yeah. you don't want to sit around and waste everybody's time. I mean, there's guys that, really don't give a shit that are holding lights all day long and boom mics and sure, stuff. Sure, yeah, that, like, yeah, you can't. You know, got to respect like, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's about you, it's your show, it's called Marin and all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a job for a lot of people and um, I don't want to hold them up. But, I mean, mostly like process and all that stuff is stuff that's done at home. And Well, I, with, with a show though, you know. Uh, that's hard. I mean, I've done 30 guest stars on TV shows and you have no time to prepare. Nothing. You got pages and pages of script a yeah, day. Yeah. I mean, in a way, we're shooting these movies like with Cheap Thrills. We shot that in 14 days. So we were shooting like 10, oh 12 pages God. a day. But that's like, crazy. 
you know, I remember doing like NYPD Blue years ago and David Miltrud had me a, a, a you know, a five page monologue that, that morning, you know what I mean? And then he just go, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we got three cameras going and, you know, if you go up on a line, just call line and we'll call it. And then they, they cut it together. But what they end up doing is sort of like cutting out all of the nuance, all the right. interesting stuff that they you do. They just want coverage, It's man. just your head saying right. the lines, you know, They with just the want coverage. Yeah. They just want to make sure that they got something to cut with. I guess that was great for me because I did, you know, I had like a good decade of doing that and it was good training for being in front of a camera. But then when, you know, really only like in the last 10 years, less than 10 years, I mean, basically around the time I knew you, like started getting offered bigger roles in these smaller movies and really being able to feel good about what the work I'm doing like I can go back and look at those other movies and yeah. go I, I had talent and you know right. I have presence or whatever but in terms of really knowing what I'm doing and having confidence sure. in myself feeling proud of it yeah yeah well did you go like so you grew up in outside of Chicago right and what how many kids in your family just you and your I bro? have three brothers three brothers yeah Two what, older and one younger what brother. What did the two older ones end up doing? So my oldest brother was a musician for a long time, and then he became uh, a, uh, he went to motorcycle mechanic school, basically. He was a master technician. But he was for, in bands and stuff? He was in bands, yeah. Like, his band played a lot with Billy Corgan's band, the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yeah? And, and uh, this band, Material Issue. Uh, that was I remember the, Material so, Issue. So those guys, bands were getting big at the same time. As material Issue, he, he, he killed himself, right? He killed himself, himself right? yeah, He was a Chicago too. guy? Yeah, they were all, they would all play shows together. I would lift, I would, you know lift their gear and stuff like Fucking that. Fucking that and, one, what was it, movie, something, something soundtrack? The Material Issue Oh, album? yeah, yeah, uh, Motor City soundtrack Maybe. or something like That's that. That's a great record. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And uh, it was really surprising to everybody that, that that happened. Oh, man, yeah, they were like a great pop band. It was, yeah. a, it was a type of music that at that time was not that successful. No, but that first album did pretty well. I mean, yeah. it was like right at that boom of the alternative, you know, stuff right. happening again. So you said, you know, love gear for Billy Corgan? And yeah, stuff? yeah, those guys were always really nice to me. I was in college at the time um how, how was that well how was seeing uh, him play uh, uh, before he was big? we always thought they were great i mean really? they were known and at the time as being the you know the great band in chicago too oh know? yeah i didn't yeah. realize they were from chicago yeah, he had hair and, yeah you know. so your brother was just <laughs> and his band was hard rock too yeah they were like sort of that same sort of like high, uh, psychedelic sort of oh, hard yeah? rock you know and what, what he just let it go yeah it just sort of just wasn't happening and he went to motorcycle mechanic school and he became very successful at that he worked for bmw san francisco for many years until that uh, got bought and sold, and and now he uh, he's mostly a stay-at-home dad. His wife works for you know Wells Fargo. She does really. They well, live so around. They live in the Bay Area, up in Oakland. Yeah, and they have a daughter. And so everyone's close nine. by. And what about the other brother? And my brother Jim is you know a huge cinephile like me. We grew up with loving movies. So he you know basically when I was seven and he was nine, I wanted to make movies and he wanted to watch them and show them. And that's what he does. He he worked for many years at the. George Eastman House in Rochester, New York, which is like one of the largest motion picture. I performed at in that the theater. Oh, did you at the Dryden? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, the, so the big oh, oh, in Rochester. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he programmed the movie theater there, and he was char uh, assistant curator of the motion picture collection. So basically, oh, wow. if you want the original camera negative of Gone with the Wind or Wizard of Oz, that to make a new DVD or whatever, that's where it is. And oh, they've got that stuff. Yeah, Scorsese keeps the majority of his print collection there. Uh, it's an amazing, you know museum as he's well. still up there no he left there a few years ago and he, he he moved to madison wisconsin and he runs the uh university of wisconsin cinematheque and the wisconsin film festival does he teach no he just runs it. i mean occasionally he does yeah he runs the cinematheque and he programs the it's film a good festival. town it's a good town Madison. yeah well he's got a kid now too a five-year-old daughter and it's i mean rochester was becoming such a shithole sorry rochester but like 
It's a little rough up well, there. Well, it was like all these big businesses, uh, Kodak, uh, Xerox, basically every business that went out of business. Because and then, of technology. Yeah, like yeah. my mother was violently mugged going walking to church. You In know, Rochester. Day. Yeah, I mean, like it was, she was, it was there, getting bad. What, what, why was she there? She was just visiting. Oh, you know? my God, that's horrendous. You know, and, and then Niagara like Falls is right up from there. And it's just grim you know oh, grim, so like dude. they moved to madison which is a great town and great town it's a great town to raise a kid in and then uh my younger brother he's got kids too now yeah he's got two yeah jesus i have a nephew who's four and uh, my niece was born in july so she shall be uh what what is that nine months old yeah yeah did you go to college yeah well i i did you know i got into acting even though it's just movies is really what i want to be involved in because that's what you're always talking about when i remember you're a big uh, film head yeah so i you know it was what i knew how to do as a kid what do you mean as a kid? You were a director? No, I was just, no, I was an actor, you know? I was a little ham. I performed, you know? I was in plays, you know? I played the Wolfman in some, like, you know, uh, school district uh-huh. play with, that was about all the monsters. Yeah. I knew all the other kids' lines. You loved it, I was though. that little asshole. You yeah. loved it. It was your thing. Yeah. And then, um, but, you know, always, you know, watching movies, catching up on, you know, these are days before home video, so sure. it's like you watch something, uh, Planet of the Apes, edited for television, you know, where yeah. it's like- a two and a half hour movie that's edited to, to fit with commercials in two hours. You yeah, know, still there, still there. But it's still were, amazing. Apes yeah. were great. So you know, yeah. and then um, I did it all through high school uh, acting, and then uh, went to college, at Illinois State University, down in Normal, Illinois. Yeah. And uh, Normal, as it turned out, I went there because I wanted to go to DePaul University in Chicago, which is I, I thought in my mind a little more prestigious. Yeah. But A, my parents were going to make me live at home and commute, which I didn't want to do. I wanted that college experience. And B- For financial reasons? Yeah. What'd your old man do? Uh, he was in corporate. He was actually he worked for Arthur Anderson. He retired like within a year of, before everything went down the toilet there. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> did he see that? Good comment? and bad. I mean, you know, he got screwed a lot on his pension oh, and he stuff did? like that. So, oh, because yeah. they lost it all. Yeah. God damn it. And my mom was in corporate too, like mostly human resources. She worked for- they both kind of worked around the phone company. Like my dad started at like Illinois Bell, like when the Bell system was still in place. Corporate then, people. Yeah. Yeah. But people really into the arts and yeah. really movies and music. And my dad's a huge like, you know, vinyl collection like you do. Does and, he? Um, not so much anymore, but he did, you know, jazz and mostly jazz and classical and R&B music, and old rock music and stuff like that. So you grew up with that? All that stuff. It's good. And good then, to have that. You know, Steppenwolf Theater started at uh, Illinois State University and they offered an internship for- graduating seniors every year. Steppenwolf did. Yeah. So that's like Malkovich, Gary yeah. Sinise, uh, Terry Kinney, Jeff Perry, Laurie Metcalf, Joe Allen. And that Allen. guy, the, the, the guy who's uh, the, the big play right now, Letts. Tracy Letts is now, who, who was one of my first people I met on my first day of work there. He Wait, was, so you go, okay, so you go to, you're in the drama department at Illinois State mm-hmm. and you apply for this internship at Steppenwolf. Yeah, you audition for it. You audition for it. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Steppenwolf yeah. is fucking balls to the Huge. wall. That's yeah, real. like one of the most What'd you do well-known. for your audition? trying to even remember i think they gave us like different scenes like from you can't take it with you uh-huh and then i did from a you mom- can't take it with yeah you? or something like that uh... you know but the person that always got it would like be like the guy that did something weird in the scene so you know you can't take it with you is like a big group you know play. it's a kaufman and hart thing yeah or something, exactly right? yeah. it's like a big ensemble thing and i remember it was the year before or two years before one of the guys who was in the scene you know like everybody who's auditioning for it all the seniors are auditioning yeah. together just started taking his clothes off during the scene that was the guy that got it so yeah I'm sure I did something weird, but I don't remember what it was. So, so now, it, when did the internship start? Was it co- coinciding with your last year, or did you actually? No, after it was. College? It began in the fall after my after I graduated. Holy shit, that must have been fucking exciting! And it was so, amazing. I mean, my first time there was 
Steve Martin had written his first play, so he was there, and he's one of my childhood heroes. I mean, yeah. comedy was a huge you know thing for me as a kid, and I remember my dad bringing home that Let's Get Small album, and then I was into all of his movies and all that stuff, so he was there hanging around doing his play, which Tracy Letts, as you mentioned, was an actor in, and... Uh, you know, I met a lot of my good friends now. You know, within that year, I had gotten cast in shows there. Well, what was your job as an intern? How does it start? What do you do? I was allowed to audition for every play, but I was, you know, and I got a couple understudy, two understudy gigs while I was there, and I even went on stage for for one show. Uh, and then, but I did stage crew. I was a production assistant. I would have aid the, the the playwright. And what were the some of the plays that were doing it? Who were some of the actors? Uh, well, we did Libra, which was the adaptation John of the Dilla. Don DeLillo book mm-hmm. about Oswald, which yeah. was uh, uh, Malkovich uh, adapted and directed it. So he was there. He was there. And uh, Alexis was like? Arquette was the star of that. Oh, really? And Michael Shannon was his understudy. Oh, and that's how Michael Shannon. Friends with Mike. Yeah. Oh, you're friends with Shannon? Yeah, we're really good friends. We've been he kind of popped a few years, years ago, now. huh? Yeah. Academy Award nominee. So he was a he was and a st- Malkovich was amazing. I mean, if you were an actor in Chicago, like I grew up, like you know, I I, I discovered Mickey Rourke at a young age, and then that led me to that was he was my gateway drug to Brando and De Niro and all those people. And then yeah. if you lived in Chicago, it was like Steppenwolf, like those guys were get legendary for getting on stage and like throwing shit at the audience's head, and tearing stuff. it up. I think they did a very famous. Uh, I think Sinise and Malkovich's True, True West, West yeah. started there. And Malkovich did tells this story of beating up a, a toaster with a golf club, and the the head of the golf club broke off and flew off and hit an old woman in the head and he stopped the play and he walked out and he uh said are you all right and she said yes and he went back on stage and just kept doing it it was that kind of thing i we, saw Mal- malkovich do burn this in manhattan yeah that, that's incredible it was yeah. crazy yeah 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 that, i mean it was you know kind of legendary and i got actually got cast in a small role in a play that he was in uh-huh. called the libertine which he ended up making as a movie uh a few years ago with johnny depp uh-huh. And we would just stand there and watch him. I mean, he would do something different every night and just like, you know, wild. But I was talking to Mike Shannon, like we all thought that Malkovich was really being violent and doing all those things. It was very, you know, choreographed to look that way and very powerful. But like when I would do a play with Shannon, he would we would have fight choreography and he would make me act. He would just, you know, ignore the fight choreography and make me beat him up. And I remember I was just repeatedly hitting him over the head with a metal garbage can just trying to get him to go limp you know yeah like we were those kinds of like you know we wanted to be these you know ferocious alpha male you know uh, brooding dark actors and the first play that i got cast in at steppenwolf was a clockwork orange it was a it was a stage adaptation of the lead no i was you know one of the guys you know eight different parts you know in the thing but i met a lot of my good friends who are pretty well known now nick offerman was in that production uh guy named Paul Edelstein, who was on uh, the show Private Practice for a long time and uh, worked with the Coen brothers in the movie uh, Intolerable Cruelty. And uh, many, many people, like, uh, that show was sort of famous for the guy who played Alex uh, DeLarge, uh, had an enormous penis and whipped it out every night and masturbated What happened to that guy? Crowd. Well, I don't know. What's I his mean, name? Ken Freeman. Yeah. And every night you would stand backstage and just hear... <gasps> from an you know 500 people <laughs> way back in the balcony it's, it's that big of a, a space steppenwolf 500 uh yeah it was a you know a small place that started in a church basement and by the time i got there in the 90s it was a big operation well, t- well it's just interesting because this is the first time i've talked to somebody you know usually when i talk to comedians or comic actors about chicago it's all second city which is wild i, I talked to like matt dwyer about this like we're blocks away i mean we drank at the same bar but rarely did we we never interacted with that well i never did comedy until i came to la 
but it's 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 interesting to me that it was it's equally as important yes. in 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 producing talent. Yeah, the, both as a, you know directors, writers, actors. I mean, a lot of people came out of there. So as a young man, you're watching this stuff, and you want to be an actor, and you've got certain chops. You did basic stuff in college. Did you have a teacher in college that blew your mind and 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 made you realize you know how and because like I talk to actors, and it's very difficult. To talk about craft or to talk about training, because you know either you have the gift or, you're, or you don't, right. and and either, and that gift is either sort of honed with guidance by somebody that means somebody. There doesn't seem to be like a like I think David Mamet tried to write a textbook about acting, yeah, but he had a whole school, the Atlantic School, yeah. and his basic and premise. And they still have a theater company, and that's in a New great York, theater. but it's right. a very specific school of acting. If you see his films, well, I mean, right? You know. Well, his idea is like you know any idiot can act, right? And you just have to apply these things. And it, that's clearly not true. Well, everyone in his movies talks like David Mamet. So it's like- It's, it's very stilted. It's good at that. And, and right. I, it's good. I like it. But it's, you know- It's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's you know. servicing his voice. And it, I think there's an arrogance to to uh, to, to making that presumption. No, because, our, our school was very much based in, you know, Stanislavski. And, right. And, you know, a lot of passion and you right. know, fire. Probably maybe, you know, too much. I mean, a lot of great teachers. A guy named Patrick O'Gara, who's, who's since retired and- I just found out, well, like one of my first teachers, Sandy Zelinsky, she retired. We had this legendary teacher, Gene Scharfenberg, who taught Malkovich and all yeah. these people who, when I was there, was this lady who was 70 with big flowing white hair and giant glasses, wore a cape and walked around with a cane, you know, and called everybody love and uh -huh. would get up in the, in the middle of a play if she didn't like it and say, I'm bored. Is anyone else bored? And walk out, you know, and she taught this class called Animals which was, you know, you, if you were really special, you got selected as a senior to be in that class. You picked an animal for the semester and then you would be that animal and then the animal over the, you would do a kill yeah, and then you would get killed at the end of it. Uh -huh. And then that character, the animal would become a human character as the class progressed over. So it was like, you know, really like a, you know, raw acting you know sort of that's interesting class. and then she retired right after that so i was in the last class so when you say like stanislavski and and you know that 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 sort of old style method that so they were running stanislavski through the steppenwolf well stanislavski sort of by way of the group theater which is in new york know, Lee Kazan, strasburg. strasburg uh more stella adler than strasburg yeah. i think like strasburg is really much like the more leaning towards the Daniel Day-Lewis, like, you know, you must become the character. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't even know if Daniel Day-Lewis is a good example. I mean, Strasburg, Strasburg was big on using your own feelings, you know, as substitutions for things, you know. So you would, if you had to cry, you'd think about your uh -huh. father dying or things like and what's that. The, and what's the other side? I mean, Sella Adler's, you know, whole thing is sort of like it's all in the text. And if you really analyze that text and you read it over and over again, if it's good, it's there. And then it's really just about using your imagination. Mm -hmm. And you can't play an emotion. You can't go like, oh, I'm going to be sad here. It's like you have to pick an action. You know, you have to look at the scene objectively and go like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then if I do this right, and this is in the text, and I'm, I've analyzed this right, you know, and you'll hear De, Niro, you'll hear De Niro talk about this because he studied with her and everything. It'll come. And Brando studied with her too, you know. It'll come. And it does, you know. And really, this is really the first, this movie is really the first time I've been able to apply all of that. Well, I, you, you acted the fuck out of it. Yeah, I mean, the animals class, like, this is the first time it's ever come back in my mind of, like, really being, you know, isn't I become an animal. You isn't know? that fascinating? Yeah. That's and now I feel like I, you know, there's a scene in the movie after I mutilate myself where I, you know, have this big explosion and that was people insane. sort of talk about it and it was insane and it was, 
But I don't know that I'm going to be able to do that on that day. I trust that I do, and I know that other people trust that I that do, felt but I've like never it, done it. It felt like it came from child's place. It's everything. It's it's my entire life. But it's that moment, too. It's 40 where, years of everything. Well, you Right. Well, you know that moment, though, where, where a kid falls down and doesn't know whether he's going to react or right, not? Right, at first, yeah. yeah. There's, <laughs> there's this moment of silence, yeah, and then... Like, yeah! And I said, like, I know I'm going to have to pull up everything here because I imagine in my mind that emotionally and physically, that's the worst pain anybody could ever feel. And so we pull it up and we do it, and and, and this comes out of me. What's really interesting is, like, the layers of it. I was yeah. just talking to my shrink about this yesterday. Yeah. Is I, I, I get... I'm, I'm in pain, I'm screaming, I'm in terror. Then there's sadness, there's tears. And then somebody wrote this about this in a review, and then I start laughing. It's like one's underneath the other. It's like mullet's muck inside you, right? And then it's like all that shit. You know, the anger is covering up sadness, which yeah. which, which often is covering up joy. That's yeah. like stuff way down there, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time in my life I really fully, truly experienced it and knew that I could do this and knew what this was all about. You know, I could talk about it all day and I've been good in other things, but this was the first time and uh, where it all came together yeah it was like boom oh wow magic. because the, the arc from that moment on once you go through that and you know and then you don't buy you wouldn't buy the rest of the movie if it doesn't work and for me i don't want to like you know yeah but i think that anybody, the emotional the emotions of the rest of it were good because it was also a baptism in in some sort of weird you know like when you talk about all those feelings and you know pain and joy and sadness but you also made this horrendous decision right right you it's know, everything to, to you know for for money. Yes, it's, it's complicated psychology. Maybe. And is it for the money? Yeah. Know? Oh right. right. You know, or is it's it like, for the punishment? Know, it's like it's all these things, and and I I describe it as like this tap opened up in me that I didn't even know was closed. But I, I, I like that magical key that you always look for in yeah. therapy or whatever. Yeah. Like that's going to be the answer to all these yeah, things. Yeah, like yeah. you know, like the missing piece. Uh, was I molested? Am I gay? Whatever yeah, it yeah, is that yeah, it might yeah. be, you know. And uh, it was just—I still don't know exactly what it is, but it was—it was just there. And then they lost the tape; they erased it. Stop it! I'm not kidding. Stop it! I'm not kidding. Like everybody was perfect. Like the camera, and we could—we didn't have a lot of time or a lot of takes on this movie. So that so was like, the second take. I did it like two days later, like three more times. And what was remarkable is that I was able to go there. Yeah, and now I know all that I can. You know, I even had written a blog about how how important it was to me you know the day that we did it because i realized that it wasn't about what you're gonna see or like what it was the experience of doing it to me and sometimes that's all you're gonna get like maybe no one will ever see it and yeah. maybe no one will ever like it but you have that you know right but you'd put all these this work in all this craft in place yeah and this particular script out of all the scripts demanded that you reach this point. Yeah, especially since if you didn't do it, this script could easily just be a sort of but I'm sure a, a you, goof, you know? Yeah, but I'm sure you surprised the director. I'm sure that like, like because if you think about it, because now that, now that we're talking about it, yeah. in that, you know, clearly the writer said this was a dark comedy. Right. But, you know, at some point, and I think now after talking to you, by virtue of your performance in and of itself, it, it transcended that. Because if you think that, because that, that scene... The way it's the way it's written on paper could could really be dark slapstick. Sure. That you guys played it so straight, which is the way to go. But I don't think the screenwriter could have realized the depth of of horror that could be reached to that. Because if you think about the like this and that, and then that that reaction, right? If it, with a, a slight tweak, it would have played a slapstick. And and I, you know, I would say that you're right. And I want to give credit to the director, whose name is Evan Katz, because he, when he cast me, I wasn't anybody's choice. Right. 
he saw this movie Great World of Sound that I did, you know, that was actually the movie I went to film when I was living here, which in which I play a very real grounded character. Yeah. And he, I understood from him liking that movie and wanting me that that's what he wanted. That he wanted, that he had this opportunity to direct the script. He's a writer himself, but he didn't write the script. Yeah. That he did, that there was some version of this that even some people involved with the movie might have thought was fun. Right. And he wanted that kind of movie. And everyone else agreed. Even Keckner did not want to do be shtick. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there are the things that are familiar about David that we love that invite us in to enjoy the movie and then he turns the screws on you. you know? But he didn't do any of what he's capable mm. of because that guy can go way out over the top. Right, but I mean, you he know, was he's... played it close to the vest oh, and, so he, deep, yeah. and menacing. He sits there at one point and stares at Ethan for about 10 seconds, I swear, just staring into him. There's no dialogue. And, <laughs> and you just don't know what he's going to do, and he's terrifying. And he, uh, right, and his reactions, like, uh, that seemed, like, uh, like real. Yeah. But it all seemed real. But, but like, you know, it gets to a point where you're like, how is that all going to... I mean, you don't even know if it's going to work, because it's like, at some point, you have 14 days to shoot, which is, like, four days shooter than the shorter than the, the shortest movie yeah. I've ever worked on. You got no money. You're in one location. It's 105 degrees outside. Yeah. Sometimes we lost power for a whole half a day. Oh, my you, God. You really don't have any other choice but to, like, set up two cameras, do it handheld, and really do it, which sort of harkens back to the days of theater and you know, uh -huh. thinking about... I mean, I haven't done a play since I left Chicago in 1998. Do you crave doing that, though? I mean, I, I like to think about it, but what I can't stand is the same reason why I'm not a stand-up. Not that I, w I would claim to be a great stand-up or anything, but... The amount of time it takes character to bits, devote though, to you? it, I do, and I and I, but I I can't do the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. No, I get it. It drives me insane. I like I worship you and Patton and all those guys now. Like you know, that that can like do that. I've seen you know you or Patton do the same bit, but like just phrase it slightly differently and make Add it new things. for them, and just like be funny and fresh every time. But I for myself could never. Do that. So that's what bothers me about theater a lot is is I, I can't. But don't you like the rush of it? Of, of well, I like the stage stage. But I mean, that's what, with what other comedy like on... doing sketch comedy or even little st right. little stand up that I did yeah. sort of gave me that. Without, yeah. I would do it again in the right circumstances, absolutely. And you know, this this is even sort of like a stage play in a way because it's mostly one location. But like, um, I, I like I like interacting with the audience. Yeah, I just don't like the repetition of it. So tell me, did you get? I want to. I want to believe that you got the uh, Herzog movie while you were at my house. I did. You did? Yeah. Oh. Good. Well, you know what happened was I rescued Don. Yeah, I went down to Charlotte to shoot Great World of Sound. I came back for a weekend. I forget what for to do something or other. I knew I had to come back for yeah. something, and they set the audition up for me, and I went to it, and I stayed here. Uh huh. And uh. My manager, I remember, sent me a, a thing, said, you have this audition for this action movie, Rescue Dawn. And I was yeah. like, oh. and I looked at it, and it was like Werner Herzog, you know. And I had this film studies class in high school, which was like, they only taught it like one or two years. And, and one of the movies we watched was Strozek, you know, which is, I was 16. That yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow. And he was there, you know, I auditioned for him. And so you auditioned for Herzog. Time. What's that like? Well, he was there with his son, who was a teenager at the time. Yeah. And, uh. His son videotaped everything, and he laughs a lot. He really enjoys watching you, which yeah. is good. You want to be enjoyed, like as an actor. You, want, yeah. you go in a lot of rooms with people with their arms folded. You yeah, know? and um, I think a lot about that story that you tell about uh, 
Lorne Michaels when you uh, went in there. You know, yeah, yeah. Sorry to bring that up, but uh, it's all right. know, I think about that a lot. Because there are college I, students taking a shot right now. I, I, oh, okay. <laughs> the the Lorne Michaels I, game. I, I, it's so vivid in my mind to be sitting across the desk from someone or sitting in a chair across from someone having them film you yeah. with complete indifference. And then you're just, if you're like you or me, your mind is filled with like oh, how, how horrible you are. Just and making all, up the all worst. All the awful things that yeah. you've done, you know. And you get somebody like Herzog who you think has earned the right to be that way and isn't is really like joyful and you know he does amazing things he does amazing things and he does exactly what he wants to do he does exactly what he wants to do and you know he he's also like not this crazy maniac like he's crazy like a, a joyful kid is crazy you know like we did the scene in the end of the movie where we bring christian bale back and uh the, the entire naval fleet is is you know waiting for him inside the aircraft carrier so they found like every white guy in Thailand that they could, and then they CGI'd like you know they doubled it. Uh -huh. So there's like 300 guys there, and it's like it had to have been 120 degrees outside, and we were inside a closed helicopter inside the aircraft carrier uh -huh. that we come out of. So we were just soaked, sweat through. But we, we shot that day, and then uh, it was crazy. And like Herzog, you know, is an older guy, like. He'd get up and run down the gangplank up and down all day long, like to like look at the monitor or whatever. Then at the end of the day, he got on the stage and he said, I wanted to thank everybody for coming. This is a very important story. It's my friend's story I'm telling. This is the leading man, Christian Bale. He was Batman. And thank you. And then he runs off. He drops the megaphone. He runs off. He runs down the gangplank. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. Every single guy that was there, 300 guys, he shook every one of their hands. And if one of them stopped and wanted to talk to him, he talked to them. Uh -huh. And he didn't leave until the last one was gone. That was the last day of shooting? And that was the first day of shooting. Uh, how was Christian Bale? Great. Yeah. I really felt upset a couple of years ago when he, when that tape was released yeah. of him ranting yeah. because we've all had those days and I've seen worse things I had on one sets. yesterday yeah, in my living room. He's a sweet guy and, yeah. and he's not this maniac. And uh, I'm sure if I was doing terminator eight and you know some guy was fucking with the light above my head and i was trying to like commit yeah, to yeah, what i'm yeah. doing like i'd be yeah. pissed too but you know i'm sure he feels you know regretful you know for doing it but like really sweet guy you know and uh not one of these weird method guys that stays in character like he keeps his accent because yeah. otherwise it would get confusing but um i really really had a great time working on it and i got to tell herzog you know, when I was 16 years old, I saw this movie Strozek and it yeah. changed my life. And it's just such a pleasure to work with you. And, and he smiled and hugged me. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. How many people can say that? Especially if you're a movie nut. You know, if you're this kid that grew up just worshiping these people. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. And you've worked with some other guys, like you know, Sam Rockwell, I like a lot. Oh, Sam is the best. He's a trip, man. I think Sam and, you know, um, Richard Jenkins and, and my friend Phil Hoffman, who's, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, we're really the best people that, that are acting right now, you know, like consistently. You know? How well do you know Philip? Pretty well. I hadn't seen him in quite a few years. I'm really close with uh, his mother and his brother. Really? Yeah. Well, because they're from Rochester, and um, uh, I knew his brother actually before I knew Phil. And then I His met, brother's out here, uh, right? Yeah, Gordy, yeah. yeah. And I knew uh, Phil from, I met Phil doing Magnolia many years ago. You were and, the pharmacist? Yeah, exactly. And I was two scene? pharmacists in that movie. I'm in the beginning of the movie and like a- With Julianne Moore, right? Yeah, with yeah. Julianne Moore. And at the beginning of the movie, I'm a pharmacist in old England uh, who gets uh, killed, in Greenberry Hill, London, who gets killed by three guys named Greenberry and Hill. It's one of those weird coincidental stories. So, so Phil Hoffman, that was such a, a, a tragedy. Yeah. But, you know, he had that, he was wrestling with that fucking thing. Huh? Yeah, it's horrible. And, you know, I, I, I don't 
uh, I think it came on sort of rather quickly after a long time of, of you know, not, not and yeah. I don't want to speak too much about it because, but uh, it was very moving to me that uh, I, I'd certainly been in touch with the family and left messages, but I didn't want to be intrusive or anything. And, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then Gordy showed up to see Cheap Thrills here and I, I would have never, I mean, I didn't even send out, I sent out invites to people, but I would never have thought to, you know, invite him during this time. And he was really knocked out by it and and then he just told me this thing where it's just it reminded of him of i remind him of phil and how much i committed to and everything which is really like amazingly flattering but incredibly heartbreaking and yeah and then um phil's mom marilyn who i I, as somebody i love very much who she actually she's a she was a family court judge up in um in Rochester, uh-huh. she actually officiated the wedding of my brother Jim and his wife Katie, and you know we're we're close. And she came, you know, the other night and was again not knocked out and wrote me something really nice, you know. And it's like, what can you say? Like that guy, you know, I think was the greatest actor of my generation, and I mean, there's no question. And uh, to have even been a part of someone like that's life, or yeah. you know, any of these directors that we're talking about, to be a part of their body of work, you know. I, I I still like struggle to get roles and make a living and all this stuff, but like to me on a level of personal importance, it's like, you know, it's right up there with my dad telling me he's proud of me, you know what yeah, I mean? Like sure. those people are are really uh special people and um and they're 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 great people and um, you know, uh you know, we hear a lot about like, you know, what a great actor Philip was and all that stuff, but you know, he also is a guy who's had children, you know, and it's 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 difficult for me to even fathom, much less you know think about how his his mother or his brother, you know, or sister is dealing with it. So, um, but they're really amazing people who showed up to see my dumb little sweet. movie, you know, yeah. and 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 stick around to 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 you know tell me that you know how much they enjoyed it and to say those nice things you know it's great and so it's yeah. very sweet i don't really talk about this publicly but uh i you know because i feel like it's like violating their privacy in some way but like you know it feels okay to say you know like i don't want to yeah it's not it's not about me getting compliments it's like you know it's about, like, uh, about uh friends yeah and it's about you know being part of a, a family and, and a family that obviously is supportive of of the arts and the yeah work. i mean in a way like i think that family and and, and their mom like is very similar to to our family and the mm-hmm. way our parents raised us that was a very important thing you know and so uh the, the level of commitment that phil brought to his work is something that i aspire to at least try to take it that seriously mm-hmm. and you know um and you, you, you no matter what it is you know yeah and you know it's certainly in this in this new film i mean you, you know you put it all out there it's weird that the opportunity comes in in a film that that is is sort of specific, yeah, and bizarre, yeah. But uh, you know, I I think that uh, the best is yet to come because, as you said, you know, for yourself and and you know, out of respect for you know for the work you put in, you know, you feel that you know you've sort of arrived in your own body as an artist, yeah. And they, like this this wouldn't have been possible ten, ten years ago. Yeah, no. no way. So like when you talk about that, when you talk about people who've influenced you or people that have said things to you, you know, having, you know, either worked with the people or, or like seeing John Malkovich, were there, were there moments that, that kind of, you know, kept you going or, or were there things that you noticed in the work of others that you thought, you know, other than an ethic or a work ethic or, or just a commitment thing, like, uh, where you're like, uh, oh, that's how that, that's how you do that. Yeah. I mean, certainly like at a really early age, 
you know, longer. You know, when you hear people talk about seeing movies as kids, it's yeah. often like 10, 11, 12, 13. I'm yeah. talking about five, six years old. Right. I'm seeing stuff and seven probably like Woody Allen and Mel Brooks and, and then Steve Martin and, you know, the comedians really at first. Sure. And then, you know, as a kid just gobbling up everything and then like... Oh, when I was 12, my mom took me to see this movie, The Pope of Greenwich Village. Oh, yeah. New York was in it. Yeah. I, like I said, I hadn't really, like, seen a lot of De Niro or Brando, if at all, you know, and I was like, oh, wow. Like, that guy was so cool, and that was that's what I want to be. And that was sort of, like, a direction where I was just sort of like, okay, I wanted to be that guy. I started doing my hair like that, you know. Like Mickey? Yeah, when I had it, you know, the big pompadour. Yeah. It was cool. I smoked for many years. I mean, yeah. all that stuff was probably because of that. Yeah. Know? It's funny. I just watched it again recently, and it's, it's so great. But I see all these things that I that I do that oh, really? you know, just sort of became you know part Party. of part of me. Yeah. Like what? I don't know. Just certain little mannerisms yeah. or ways of speech and stuff like that. You know, really? because he was like he plays like a half Italian, half Irish guy, and yeah. that. So it's like I could like you know sort of conceivably you know resemble him in some way. Uh -huh. I wanted to be the guy who beats the shit out of the refrigerator and dents uh -huh. it in. You know. Yeah. And then that led to like we got. A, I mean, this is so going back so far. We got a VCR when I was, you know, right before I started high school. It was yeah. the first time, and that was discovering the, the Scorsese De Niro movies. That yeah. was like really oh, like, oh my god, yeah, knock me out. And then so it was just sort of this steady like gobbling up all that stuff, discovering Kubrick and uh, you know seeing the Godfather movies and all that stuff. And then Michael Al Pacino and the fucking Godfather too. That movie, holy moly, that's the fucking movie. Dude. I mean, that movie's like the better movie I absolutely mean, I, it should i don't it's almost not even controversial to say that anymore you know what i mean i think they're it's one, both magnificent but i mean holy moly that that movie is stunning yeah. i mean it's like it's if all it comes every, on you can't turn it everything's off. in yeah, there I know. life death politics all of everything it. business but then the real like earth shaking moment now i'd already been a lifelong cinephile and all this stuff uh my brother saw this movie blue velvet david Lynch's <laughs> movie and he said you know he's got to see this and maybe he described to me a little bit about what it was yeah. and I knew that there was some like weird psychosexual thing that I probably didn't have any grasp on because I was 15 years old I don't know that you would now yeah probably not no <laughs> and that really like the sexual part of it wasn't really a component of it to me at the time not that I was conscious of I sat down and I watched it, it was playing this theater in our neighborhood and the first five minutes that opening of that movie split my head open yeah. because not only was I seeing like what a director did with sound and, and image and all this stuff but it was it was this metaphor for the suburbs yeah. and what was crawling beneath the suburbs and i never it never oh, occurred going, to me to think about that, going you know? into the hole right yeah it goes right. down into the lawn and there's all the bugs crawling around is it right after the guy has a heart attack right? yeah you basically see like the 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 uh crossing guard waving and the guys on the fire truck and the white picket fence and yeah. the fire and then everything yeah. starts to go downhill yeah you, know, yeah. you see the guy have a hose that the, he's watering his lawn then he has a stroke and then yeah. the dog is barking and the dog is just licking the water off out of the hose and, and then you go into the, the hole and then you go down in the, in the lawn and it's just tons of bugs bugs yeah and so i thought I, I immediately thought about where i came from and everything like that that there was this just like you know darkness yeah. crawling under this thing that i just sort of took for granted and thought was innocent and then at that really like everything sort of came together in that moment that night i saw that movie and i really think that altered the way i looked at the world and you know and movies and, there's no limit know, my part in it no yeah, yeah. And, and like you know oh you can you know david lynch has always struck me as someone that i'd like to be like even if it's just as an actor who if you can take what's in your head and in yeah. your heart and 
there's no filter immediately transfer it on the thing and have someone else receive it and yeah. know where you're coming from like i feel like cronenberg and and lynch like do that really well you yeah. know yeah then then i could conceivably do that you yeah. know what i mean and and that was that's a big big uh, influence on on me and how i approach my work even though i may approach my work very differently i mean david lynch is someone who refutes psychoanalysis because he doesn't want to know he feels like he won't be able to do it right and i'm someone who goes two days a week i'm someone who used to go four days a week you know what i mean and that's everything to me like that's how i became you know yeah. a good writer that's how i became you know uh, uh, good at this i mean i mean it's certainly a big part of it so interesting yeah, yeah but also like i i like the idea of that you know when you watch that david lynch movie for the first time whether it's a razor head or 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 blue velvet and then you know, and then you just realize like you set your own Parameters. Yeah, I guess that's. And, I, uh, I didn't think about that part of it, but that's true too. And it's just sort of like you know, if people aren't you know, you don't have to appease anybody. No, look, I've yeah. been in this business for a long time, and there was a long period where I was trying to appease people or trying to be that handsome, brooding actor yeah. that I saw that I wanted to be or whatever. And I just uh -huh. got rejected. I got knocked down. There's two whole years where I didn't work at all, you know. And I just kept going. I kept saying to myself, like, I can be a leading man in movies if I want to be. Yeah. And. uh I am. I, yeah. You know, uh, I don't have to be. I'm happy to take character parts and things. I love Sam Rockwell. I love Richard Jenkins. Those guys are great leading men and great character actors, yep. you know? like. But I just kept at it, and I never changed course. I yeah. mean, never, maybe there were years where I was like, oh, I'm not getting jobs. Maybe I should be more of this or more of that, and I got yeah, a little yeah. anorexic for a while, or I, you know, yeah. I got a little weird for a while, you know. It, it ended in a complete nervous breakdown when I was in my late 20s, you know, and I sort of had to rebuild. What, uh, you end up in the hospital? No, nah, I could have. My my dad, would, God bless him, came out here and took care of me for a while. But How did that manifest itself? I met a guy, a, a nice older man. I mean, I just was really wanting to be a movie star, and I yeah. was in my 20s, and I... And I um, was a you know I'm five ten and I weighed 145 pounds and yeah. my hair was falling out and I was just nuts you know yeah. and I uh, met this seemingly nice man who said oh you should start meditating and I didn't know anything about it and he said here send away for this tape and I sent away for this tape and it's a tape you listen to while you meditate and yeah. it turns out it's from uh, a you know a cult it was uh -huh. from some one of these cult groups and uh -huh. it, it, the tape had post-hypnotic suggestion on it that uh, causes you to not go into deep sleep. Uh, every time you're about to go into deep sleep, you wake up sort of with your heart beating really fast. And then it tells you to do the exercise again. So you just perpetuate this thing. And I think the sort of end game is this guy was like having, you know, meetings with me at my house and is eventually like, all I need is $2,000 to do this. Can you believe that? And it was kind of getting to that point. And the, the really strong ego in me that had been sort of like buried yeah. deep beneath eventually sort of woke up and, and fought it and i just started therapy so i was like dealing with a lot of stuff that hadn't i hadn't really like talked about or dealt with before and so i and i did i would much rather find some spiritual you know reason Solution, to, yeah. than to have to actually go into like what my problems were and all that and and so this all sort of combined in this perfect shit storm and i i lost my mind you know i called my parents at you know five in the morning one night and my dad got on a plane the next day and, and came out here and was with me for like a month. I mean, I went to Hawaii and filmed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> I was in the middle of a complete mental collapse. I was also filming Ghost World at the time. This was uh, a crazy time, and I just had to rebuild from there, you know? And um, I think at any time in my life since then, whether it's been the divorce or um, any other sort of major setback that I've had, 
I always know that my life will get better again if I just hang in there. Well, when you have one real, yes, like because I lost my mind once too. Yeah. So anything that happens, you know, matters at the heart or whatever. When you really experience losing your mind, yes, that's the worst. Yes, and you can always have that as something to as a barometer. You, you know, like, yeah. you know, and you can be aware of it. I mean, because I don't know that a lot of people have experienced not losing their mind. No, like I, the closest I can tell people is like that movie Jacob's Ladder where it's, you know, he's losing his mind and he's seeing these demons and stuff. I mean, that's really what it's like. You're seeing the worst. faces yeah, oh, yeah. on the back Oh, of you're hearing voices, like group, groups of voices. It's crazy. You're, you're reading things into things. Yeah, you read everything that you think every song that comes on the radio is a it's message like, oh, yeah. to you. Yeah, that's yeah, psychosis. Bad. Yeah, I had that. Yeah. So to be able to come back from that. It's great. I've been through some, that's great. And I've been through some, you know, I think, two or three other sort of like earth shattering, you know, events in my life since then. But my life has gotten better than it was before things got bad every time after uh -huh. that. And it's continued to be so. So I don't know any differently as, as bad as I I'll allow myself to get depressed or anxious during hard times, but I can hang in there because I know it's going to get better again, you know. That's good, man. Well, yeah. I think things are getting better. Yeah, they are. And the work's getting better. Like, you know, not only my, you know, job's getting better, but I, I'm better at what I do. Yeah. Um, even if I look at an interview with myself, I see like a relaxation that wasn't there before, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't see that. Like, he's talking, but like in his eyes, he's going to murder <laughs> you, you know, thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like screaming inside. And my friends will say, like, you know, you just seem, you know, so much more settled and, and, uh, or I'll see pictures of myself somewhere and not, not have that thing like you were talking about, like I don't know what to do with my hands or yeah. whatever. I used to you know? get it, like, my, I have to consciously squint my eyes oh and my photographs. God. I studied it. I, I studied <laughs> with this teacher who would always just be like, your eyes, right? take attention out of your eyes. Like you, you, you have to like, you know, mentally and emotionally like take the tension out of your jaw and your eyes and your face. Like, and, yeah. and just sort of like, you know, sink it down in your core, whether it's your yeah. stomach or wherever your pelvis, whatever So your face is, doesn't read like that. You don't know you're doing it until someone points it out. Like, you see a picture. I was doing this thing in college when I first started and I took a movement class and I was sticking my neck out like this, like a like I was walking around like that, like, and I was carrying. I mean, I probably still have neck and shoulder problems because I did that for so long. But like, I was just walking around looking like completely my head completely disconnected from my body, <laughs> and my body just like not moving at all, you know, and my head just being this like ball of fire, you know. Uh, it's like Kirk Douglas's head on a tree trunk, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad you got your head on. Yes, and thanks for talking to me, man. Oh, it's been a blast. Thanks, Mark. That was great. It was great to talk to Pat. It was great to see Pat. It was great to catch up with Pat. I think Pat's a real artist. And I think he's a great actor. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get the app. Upgrade to that premium. And spend the rest of your life catching up with WTF. 520 some odd episodes out there, folks. Um, dig this, if you're still here. Uh, Bob Newhart on Monday. I, I talked to Bob Newhart, and I couldn't be more excited. My mouth feels funny. Ah, I, think I, I think I ate too much pineapple. Boomer lives! 